0: And, God, thank you for a few minutes to sing back some reality, not only to to you, Jesus, but but to us and to the people around us. So, God, thank you for this moment, this moment where you have for us to hear and you have for us to know you more fully and more deeply. Uh, Jesus, all of North Point loves you. And we say amen. If you guys would grab a seat, that would be awesome. guys, how we doing? (laughs) Hmm. So, uh, I know we don't want to talk about this, but I'm just being honest. My family this week were driving in the car. We were talking about the fact that there is one more week left of summer vacation. If you're going back to school, if you're a student, there's there's no other... I'm looking around. First service, there's a group of teens that sit over here, and all you heard was... I hate you, right? We brought it up. It's in their mind. And it was one mom that danced. No, I'm just kidding. There was no dancing, but there was cheering, right? Loud cheering. So I heard from some of the parents that there's some excitement there, but maybe some teachers or some students are going, ah. The other thing we don't want to talk about that my family was talking about this week was that uh, the snow comes in one week also. This is what you want to do as you start your talk in the morning is ruin everybody's day, right? Snow and school, the things that we love talking about. But that means no mosquitoes. I don't know what else that means. So there, there you have it. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Chris Carter, and I'm, I'm one of the, I'm the Connections pastor here. And I love what I do. I love being here. I love working for North Point. I love working for a church. It really sounds crazy sometimes, but I absolutely love what I do, what I've done for years, and what I get to do now and going forward as the Lord wills and whatnot. So if we haven't met, that's who I am. Hopefully we'll get a chance to say hi. Hopefully if you're new to North Point, and even if you're brand new this morning, uh, you'll take an opportunity to to join us for lunch. Hopefully you already kind of RSVP'd, so we know that there's going to be food for you. But if like a bunch of you show up, because right now you're going, oh, welcome lunch. I want to check that out. Uh, Rick will pray over it, and we'll see what Jesus does with it. Maybe he'll bless it. We'll figure it out. No big thing. Yeah, right? Why not? If something could, We'll figure it out. So I don't need to eat. Look at me. I'm doing fine. So um, uh, we'd love for you to join us if you want to do that. I'd love to get to know you a little more personally or at least come by at some point and say hi to me. Tell me your name. and you can quiz me next week to see if I remember it or not. If you're here and brand new this morning, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. I uh, appreciate that you joined us this morning. Hopefully a couple of minutes ago when those books went by, you took opportunity to write your name down there and give us whatever contact info you trust us with. So, like, if that's an email, I get that. We'll just send you an email saying thanks. If it was a phone number, uh, one of my favorite people on the planet will give you a call and just chat your ear off a little bit. And if it was your address, uh, Rick will show up at your house. It's cool. I'm uh, just kidding. Rick's not going to show up at your house. That would be weird. Um, unless you wanted him to, in which case it would be cool. Just right down there. You want Rick to show up. We'll make that happen. Uh, all right. So I just that was not fair of me. I just threw that out there. Now your whole week is like driving around Michigan. OK, anyways, doesn't matter if you're brand new this morning. Here's the point. We are finishing a series today, which is great. Right at the tail limit of the series. The last week that we are in our Better Together series. If you haven't been here for three weeks because you're new or because summer got the best of you, then that, that's okay. Today will make sense. I'm so glad you're here today because we're going to bring it all home. I think it'll make sense. The question that we asked four weeks ago, we're going to try to answer that today. And so uh, we'll bring it home. Uh, those messages are online. though. No, if you want to listen to those, get caught up. That's great, too. But we're right at the end of a series. The series four weeks ago, we said that we were going to try and convince us of something, and we said right up front that the something we were going to try to convince us of was that life was designed and created to be done in the context of healthy, authentic, Christ-centered relationships. Or put more shortly, life is better together. That's what we're trying to convince us of. We kind of said right from the get-go that, that, that we recognize in here there are introverts, people who recharge their batteries alone, and there's extroverts, people that love being around people all the time. And, then, and that doesn't really matter. Both of those things are important, but they don't matter for what we're talking about because introverts can do life together and extroverts can do life together On there are challenges to both sides of those. But we think at the end of the day, God created life to be lived together in the context of relationships. And so in week one, we started by looking right at the beginning, Adam and Eve. It's interesting because man was created and man was the only creation that God said It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he created a person for him to be in relationship with. And not only were Adam and Eve created for a relationship with each other, but they were created for a relationship with God. So right in the beginning, we see creation evidence of of this idea of doing life in the context of relationship. Matter of fact, we go even before Adam and Eve, and the fact that God existed in relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There was a relational element there. So, again, talk about this idea that life was designed to be done in the context of relationship. In week two, we looked at the fact that God called a people to himself, not just a person. God didn't just call a bunch of individuals or even a single individual, but he really, at the end of the day, called a people to himself because I think God's plan was to do life in the context of relationships. In week three last week, Rick talked about the reality that when Jesus came to the planet in human form, he chose to do life in the context of relationships. If anybody could have done life alone, it would have been Jesus, right? Right? God, 100% man. He could have chosen to do life all on his own, but he didn't. He chose to do life in the context of of a few tight relationships, which if we're honest guys, you you read the Gospels, it makes it much more complicated on Jesus. I mean, the sense that he brought these people into his vision and his mission with them and lived these these years of his life with them. We we, we laugh sometimes at what the disciples and the, the guys and the gals that were following him did. We chuckle, we shake our head, we scratch our head. Even that verse that Jamie read before we sang that song when Peter you know, walking on the water, we laugh a little bit at that story because maybe in some respects, Jesus' life might have been easier if he'd have just done it alone. Certainly more efficient, but he doesn't. He chooses to do life in the context of relationships. And so that brings us then to today. Today we want to finish because, because Jesus, as he left the planet, he left something for us, and I think it's a relational thing. Jesus didn't leave a person to go on for the rest of time to talk about who he was and his mission and, and what he was all about, but rather he left a people. He left a people. And so as we've talked for four weeks, we've used some images, we've used some word pictures to try and hook this in our brains. We talked about Legos and we used the analogy of Velcro. We even used skydiving a little bit to talk about this sense that we were created really to connect And so today we want to bring that home with kind of the last idea here, that life is better together, that Jesus left a people to change the world, not a person. The rest of history was going to be shaped by a crazy, messed up, ugly, squeaky, busted thing we call the church, taking a bunch of confused, selfish, broken individuals, calling them together and sending them on mission in an effort to call all the hearts of men and women back to God is kind of nuts. And yet it's not only God's master plan, but it worked and it's still working. Jesus didn't leave a sole individual to be his witness. He left a people who would be the witnesses to the redeeming power of Jesus. That's what we want to try and unpack today. Um, We have some friends here at North Point who wanted to tell their story. They and I have been talking over the last few weeks. We wanted them to share their story about the power of groups, other people in their life. If you haven't had the chance to meet Keith and Susan Nelson yet, let me introduce them to you via video.
1: in. We're, we're like all in the same place in life and not only did we do our studies together but we did life. We were together. We did meals together pretty much every weekend. We were together. Saturday was college football at our house. Sunday was pro football because we had the NFL channel. So we were together all the time. So did the first uh, time we met. I went home and thought I had nothing to of these folks. So we started meeting with this group, and after that eight weeks, we just never stopped meeting. We kept going. We did everything. We did movies together, dinners, holidays, uh, involved our families, the things. We did ministries together. You name it. It was probably everything that you would ever dream about what you want life groups to be. And that was our first experience. That we The cool thing was, it really turned us on. The uncool thing was, it spoiled us. (laughs) I thought every life group, every small group was always going to be like that. Um, Last November, Keith became seriously ill, and we had just recently joined um, the Houston's Life Group, and they surrounded us with love. They brought meals, they came to the hospital, um, Steve and Nancy, along with my neighbors, came over and fed my dogs every morning so I could be at the hospital when the doctors came to talk about what was going on because you never knew when they were going to pop in. Um, our CR family showed up. Um, Pastor Rick showed up. Um, we were surrounded by our groups, and they really carried us through a really, really difficult I would say the biggest reason um, for being in a group is community. Um, We're not meant to do life alone, and the only way I know how to do life is with other people in a group. And so we do life together. We celebrate our victories. We shed tears at the sorrows, and we just, it's support. It's about support for me and relationships.
0: For
1: the
0: Nelsons and life is better together. Yeah. Cool cool story there. And probably some of you are a lot like the Nelsons where you've found a group of people, you've plugged into that, and you feel like you're doing life with a group of folks. But if we're honest, there's there's a number of us here that maybe, and I've heard it, doing ministry for years and years, I've heard it from so many people, something similar to this phrase where, I don't need a church. I don't need a group of people. I don't need a church. Uh, I'm doing just fine, just me and God. I'm doing fine alone with just me and God. Or maybe they say something like, yeah, I don't need a group. I don't need church. Uh, I find God in... Fill in the blank. Nature, sports, knitting, gardening, uh, TV, whatever. I don't need a group of people. I find God in that place. Or they say and come right out and say, hey, you know what? I'm a church of one. It's just me. I'm a church of one. And so what we want to kind of tear apart this morning is, is that okay? Is it right? Is it good? Is it God's intent for for you, for me, to be a church of one? Because if that's okay... God certainly seems to use word pictures of a group of people he calls the church that don't seem to lean that way. He seems to use pictures, word pictures of the church that seem to imply a group of many. Okay, and that's what we want to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, Book of Ephesians is where we're going to be. Uh, the verses aren't going to be on the screen, so I'd really love it if you could find a Bible. Hopefully you brought one. If so, great. If you have an electronic device, uh phone or tablet or whatever, uh, you can hit up version or you can go to BibleGateway.com and pull up Ephesians there. Or if you don't have either of those things, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. And um, I asked in first service what page number Ephesians was on, and now I forgot. Is 7. 977, perfect, thank you. Uh, And so you're welcome to borrow one of those, grab one of those, pull it out. I want you to see this, because there's some language in there that I think is really, really cool, and I want you to see it. So hopefully you've got a copy there. Ephesians, uh, we're going to start in chapter 2. Ephesians is kind of interesting, because it's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a guy who spent the first half of his life really trying to kill Christians. He was persecuting Christians. He thought they were wrong, and so he was going after them. And he really spends the second half of his life, uh, he becomes a, a Christ follower. Jesus meets him in a, an amazing way, he becomes a Christ follower. He really spends the second half of his life like working with Christ followers and working with Christians, and especially working with churches. Not only physically, but a lot of his work is writing. He's writing letters to churches to try and straighten out some stuff. And that's what we get in this book we call Ephesians. It's a letter from this guy, Paul, to a church in a place called Ephesus, to this group of believers who are trying to figure it out. And in this book, it's interesting, in this letter, Paul uh, uses word pictures of the church, and that's what we want to look at today, just three word pictures that's used of this, this cr- crazy, messed up, broken, squeaky, irritating group of people that we call the church. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to start, if you can find verse 19 that would be awesome. So it says this. It says So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built. Built is an important word. I just need it in your head because we build buildings, right? Built on the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So we'll pause there. This this picture that, that Paul is employing is this picture of a building. And we're not implying, we're not saying, and Paul isn't saying that the church is a building. Like somehow you have to go into a building to be part of the church or that North Point Community Church is really all about its building. We're not saying that at all. And Paul is not saying that because we recognize that a church is its people. North Point is its people. If the burning uh, building burnt down, North Point would still exist because we still have the people. And so we recognize the church is people, but, but Paul is utilizing just a word picture. And he's saying that the church is like a building and buildings are interesting because you don't just, Just use one kind of material to build a building. There's all kinds of material that goes into it to make that structure sound. And anything you build needs a proper, a a secure, a worthy foundation. And Paul here is pretty clear that he says the foundation of of the church, of these groups of people, is not um, uh, friendships, or uh, good coffee, or cool, sarcastic people to hang out with and get some chuckles with. Although that's all great stuff, he says the foundation is Christ. Right? He says the foundation is these apostles, these teachers. But really, the cornerstone, that chief brick, that thing that is built on, the thing that's holding it together, the whole reason that it all exists, is because of Jesus. That's the right worthy foundation. It's it's interesting because uh, Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 7. It'll pop up behind me so you don't have to try and find that. You're welcome to if you want. Matthew chapter 7 in verse uh, 24. Jesus is getting down to the end of kind of a long sermon that he preached. And he tells this little analogy to try and hook it. He says this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a sturdy foundation, the right foundation. And so Jesus seems so clear. He says, hey, that the foundation of a house, the picture of a house, but really we know the metaphor is talking about a life built on Knowing Jesus, hearing him, doing what he says, that that life is secure and firm. And so when the storms of life come, when the nightmare happens, when it all seems to be peeling apart, in this story, Jesus says that that, that house, that that guy's life stood firm. It was solid. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the other guy. He, he says, and everyone, though, who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a fool. Who built his house on sand? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. It was like a song I remember from the old Sunday school days, where they would like this crashing down thing, and all the kids would make these obnoxious noises because the, the destruction was so huge. And so the picture we see, the the metaphor is pretty obvious: that a person whose life is built on something other than Jesus knowing him, hearing him, and obeying him, something built on other than Jesus, when the storms of life come, when the junk hits, when everything seems to be falling apart, at least according to Jesus, this guy's life is destroyed. And so Paul in Ephesians is employing this building language. He says that the church, it's like a building. It's made up of different parts, but there is a common, sound, worthy foundation. That's the whole point. Second word picture that's employed is in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse uh, 11. And it says this. It says, and he gave um, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. ...until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with it is equipped... When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The second picture, this word picture that that Paul employs is this picture of the body. The body, the literal human body, Paul's this piece of the church. It's like the body. This group is like the body. It has all these different parts working together. As a matter of fact, in a different letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he actually takes this picture and expands it a little more. In 1 Corinthians 12, this is what he says. He's using the same exact picture language here. He says, for the body, he's talking about a body, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, hey, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, uh, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Jump down to verse 26, he finishes with this. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This picture of the body is a cool picture of this concept that we call the church. Because like a body, I mean, imagine a body if all it was was an elbow. That's it. You just an elbow, one big elbow. That's cool, but how would it stay alive? How would it get sustenance, and nutrients? How would it get? Or imagine if the body was was just a big eye and it could actually see somehow. Like just rolling around. Like like how would it how would it function? If you had had any medical training, you remember biology or anatomy from school, or you had some nurse training, or you had CPR training, if you have any of that, we all recognize that the body is a system. It's actually a system of systems right? Each very important to the next. And, and, and all of them are, are, are vital. Like you can't just eliminate some systems and hope for the best or the disaster comes. And so Paul employs this language. He's using the body as a picture. As a matter of fact, he says, imagine if you could imagine one day, like your hand decides to not be part of the body anymore. He's like, I'm out of here. This is stupid.'" I'm a hand. I'm always getting dirty. I'm touching people. This is dumb. I'm out of here. And somehow, I don't know how it works. The hand just juts off from the body, right? And it goes flopping along. I don't know how that works either. It goes flopping along and it climbs itself up to... Anybody got the Adams family in their head right now? It goes flopping along and it goes up onto the the mantle above your fireplace, right? And the hand sits there. And the hand's there. What happens to the hand? It's going to die, Right? Uh, not in the Adams family, I know. But in real life, it's going to die. If you take off the hand and put it there, it's going to die. And what happens over a couple of hours, days, weeks? That thing stinks, right? It's gross. Now, in your head, you're thinking, I know Paul's not talking about like, physical body it's an analogy of the church and so Paul's saying what like if one part of the church a person just decides to take off like I'm done with this place stupid out of my mind touching people and I'm always doing the jobs nobody wants to do and it goes off and sits up on a mantle place some here following the analogy what happens to that individual they die see I think disconnected is not a healthy situation not for a hand and I think that for people disconnected is a dangerous situation. So the hand sitting up on the mantel place, dying and stinking and being gross. Right. But meanwhile, what's going on with the body? If the hand just took off and ran away and you're just there with like what's going on with the body? It's hurting, right? It's hurting. I mean, if you're right-handed now, you can't write. You've got to figure out how to ride. If you're used to using a fork and knife, like, then you got to... Right? And, and, and depending on maybe there's some sense of the system is in shock, or maybe there's blood loss, or you kind of see where this is all going, right? There's an impact to the body if the hand just decides to take off. Paul's saying this. And so we're thinking, well, this an analogy, right? Yeah, it's an analogy. So, so are we saying that if the hand just decides to take off, that grumpy, stinky, gross person decides to take off, there's impact to the, the body? The answer is yeah. Yeah. Because, see, life was never intended to be lived alone. And so when a person says, I don't want any of this, I'm a church of one, I'm going to do it on my own, there's impact to them, and there's impact to the body. Paul employs this picture, this word picture, this language of the body, And he says that, man, it's a a system. It functions together and it needs all its parts. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 12, I want to read it one more time in the message version of the Bible because I think they do a great job capturing the picture here. This is what it says in verse 25. It says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. What a picture of the church, right? Jump down to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at the third picture that Paul employs for the church here. Chapter 5, verse... uh, 25. And this is going to be a little bit more complicated to see. Building and body are pretty easy. They're pretty obvious. But Paul is really going to mix metaphors. He has a, a, a penchant for doing this, mixing metaphors right now. And so we're going to have to tear this apart a little bit. But it'll be really helpful to see if I just can put one word in your head wedding. If I could put the word wedding in your head, I think this makes all kinds of sense. Chapter 5, starting in verse 25. It says this it says, Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church He gave himself up for her. In fact, I would, I would use the word husbands, love your brides. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their brides as their own bodies. He who loves his bride loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his bride, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I know we get this mixed metaphor, but that word wedding and using that word bride, really the language that's being employed here is like wedding language. Paul's, Paul's making this equation. He's, he's using the word picture of a bride. And he's making this picture of, of not just husband and bride, but the way Christ and the church function. And he uses words that are really only mostly used in bride language. The word like splendor it means glory or radiant. The idea of garners the center of attention. And when you go to a wedding and that back door opens and that music begins to play and the bride takes her first step in, what does everybody do? Stand up and we all turn and look that way. And it's great because there's the pastor up in the front. It's when you can do all the weird adjustments you got to do on your suit and stuff because everyone's looking that way, right? It's cool, but like the whole center of attention is on the bride. I know there's like three or four of you that are looking at the groom to see what he looks like when he looks at the bride. And I get it, but because the attention's on the bride, he uses this word splendor. And he says that she's without spot or wrinkle. The idea of no stain. You know, that that wedding dress is like got to be perfect. Right? There's no wrinkle in that thing. Like like one of the person's job at the wedding is to follow behind the bride and keep changing that thing, right? That's that's kind of crazy when you think about it. That's their whole role. But that dress has got to be Perfect And and without wrinkle, this, this, uh, if you've ever been to a wedding that hasn't started on time, I guarantee it was because the bride wasn't ready. I'm not knocking brides. I'm just saying it takes a village to make a bride. right. And if you've ever been part of that, you've been one of the gals who's helping the bride to get ready. It's like chaos in there. Right? Like every now and then, as a pastor, it's kind of cool. I'll poke my head in and be like, hey, uh, we're 15 minutes late. How are we it. They're like, get out! You know, yell at me and stuff. But that whole group is focused on preparing that bride and getting her ready. No spot or wrinkle, right? No blemish, no stain. This is bride language. This whole idea of this beautiful, beautiful situation. He uses the word holy. The word holy means separate or distinct, it means uncommon. Like at any wedding you go to, the only person wearing a big white dress, hopefully is going to be the bride or some crazy person <laughs> because because she's distinct and unique in that situation is this bride and everybody knows it's the bride because she's in this white dress and the attention's on her right this idea of holy and then he says without blemish, this idea of just beautiful and, and perfect this this poetic way that that Guys, remember this, man. do you remember this, if you're married, when, when you were standing down in the front, and that door opened, and, and, and your bride walked in, and, like, you lost it? Remember that? You're like, and you're trying to be a man, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, it's just hot, it's just, don't run away. I mean, you know, like, you're just, like, you love this moment, like, you've never been more in love with this woman ever, Right? So this right, so this picture, this picture of, of without blemish, beautiful. That's that picture of how Jesus looks at the church. <laughs> I don't get that most days. And like this church, this broken, messed up, squeaky, ugly, complainy thing. Jesus looks at us when that door opens, and he's like, "I'm so in love with you. You're so beautiful. It's crazy." And so Paul employs this language, this bride language. He uses building, he uses body, and he uses bride language to try and help us make an understanding of this concept of church. So the question that we asked when we started was, can I be a church of one? And I would say church is designed to be done in the context of people. I'm not saying you can't relate to God by yourself. I'm not saying you can't worship on your own. I'm saying that church is designed to be done in the context of people because every word picture we have in the scriptures that describes church is a word picture that means multiple pieces. Buildings require multiple pieces. It takes a village to dress a bride. The body is made up of different systems. Word pictures that show multiplicity of people who are connected. So this idea that I'm doing fine, I'm a church of one, it's just me and God, probably means that you're not doing fine it probably means that there is something broken there is something missing there is something that you are not completely getting but in fact i'd say it's satan's master plan to destroy us his master plan to destroy us is to simply get us alone i think that's satan's win to get us by ourselves. ed stetzer and eric geiger in their book transformational groups they say this about this they say we live in a society that is obsessed with autonomous individualism The idea that all I need is myself and I can make it on my own. This lie keeps people from connecting to one another and it's slowly killing our souls. Many of the most influential sins of our culture, pornography, greed, failure to take responsibility, are fostered in the context of radical individualism. If we listen, we can hear the echo of Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. God didn't design people to live outside of community. It's so very easy to stay in sin alone, to be right alone, to wallow in pride alone, to be unforgiving alone, to stay bitter alone, to be judgmental alone, and to be the only one who gets it alone. You add other people to the mix, and your carefully crafted, comfy fantasy experience is completely blown away. This was brought home to me some years ago uh, at a church I was at in California. I had done my first ministry experience at a church a youth pastor. then moved to a different church uh, as a youth pastor. And and it was my first full-time ministry experience. And I was some years out of school, and I was super excited and came to this church. And they had an existing youth team that was already working with the uh, the kids. And so uh, I, I met them and kind of inherited them, started working with them. And I met this guy, this guy named Billy McCabe. And uh, I I wish I had a picture of Billy. I don't have a picture, but I want to describe Billy to you because it's important. Billy Billy was a sheet metal worker. So Billy's, like for a living, he folded, I don't understand it, metal in some way. And Billy's hands were the size of frying pans. Huge. Some days I was wondering if I ever ticked Billy off, like if he would snap me. He's like the most gentle guy on the planet. Billy was physically big, too. Six-something, just a big meat of a man. So if Billy came up to shake your hand, I mean, it was like, you know, on your hand. But if Billy came to hug you, oh, you're gone for, right? right. Billy McCabe. Billy McCabe had long, flowing white locks of hair. Because, see, Billy was an old-school surfer. Now, I don't know what that means here in mid-Michigan, but, but an old-school surfer and he he was raised in the 70s when you'd have to fight other surfers for your spot on the beach and billy always won right billy came to christ a little bit later in life and so billy had some crazy ideas billy theology wise i think was kind of messed up billy was convinced that babies were unborn uh, uh, angels coming down. Billy was absolutely convinced that God had spoken to him audibly at least three times in his life, and Billy was waiting for the next time God was going to talk to him. Billy was all messed up, theologically. And so I enter into this situation with Billy McCabe, who also, by the way, thought that some of his Sundays spent surfing were more worshipful to him than some of his Sundays in church. This guy is so messed up. Are you tracking with me? So here's my... My dilemma that comes, I start having to work with Billy, and I'm thinking, okay, how do I fire him? I mean, how do I unvolunteer him? I'm thinking, this guy is so weird and so wrong. I work with Billy for a few weeks, and I run up against a reality, which is I was pretty sure that Billy loved Jesus more than I did, because he, Billy wept over his sin, a- and Billy's heart broke for the same things that Jesus's heart breaks for. And Billy, when he talked about what he was learning in the Bible, my man. Billy and God were having conversations and Billy was excited. And I'm like, how do I fire this guy? But I think he loves Jesus more than I do. And I go on to work with him for another month or so and I come up against another problem, which is I'm pretty sure Billy loved people more than I do. And Billy do anything for you, asking absolutely nothing in return and expecting to get nothing out of you. Billy don't even know you give you the shirt off his back. Billy was wired to spend time with high school guys, if you could imagine. He taught more high school guys to drive than I could even count. That's crazy talk. Billy would regularly take high school guys surfing with him for like a week and high school guys after a week, they stink. (laughs) Billy loved people more than I did. And Billy loved Jesus more than I did. So what do I do with that? This was great for me, guys. This is great for me because I had come from a school, we call it the us for no more type of school, where we had it all dialed in, had it all figured out. My first church, my first ministry experience was kind of an us for no more type of church. We had it all dialed in and all figured out. And then God put me with a guy like Billy McCabe and I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't have anything dialed in. See, it's, it's super easy to be right alone. And it's super easy to be judgmental and critical and to have it all dialed in by yourself. It's easy outside of community or in a limited community with people like me to be judgmental and critical and right. It's easy to stay small and ineffective when you avoid relationships with people who are very different than you. It's in a relationship with people very different from you, where you learn to love more fully, forgive more quickly, and in essence to be better together. So so what do we do with all this? We've been talking about this for four weeks. Uh, we started with a question four weeks ago, and said, we're going to try and convince us of something. Is, is life really created by God to be lived in the context of relationships? And so that's where we end today. We end with that question, and I ask you the question, are you convinced? Am I convinced? Are we convinced that life is really better together? Is it designed to be lived in the context of authentic relationships? If the answer is yes, if you're saying the answer is yes, and I'm saying the answer is yes, in case you are on the fence, uh, if you're saying the answer is yes, then here's what I want to say. We want to help somehow. North Point wants to provide opportunity to help plug in with other people because the question would be then who are those people that you're plugged in with? Who is that group that you're connected to? Who is that safety net that God has provided for you? Who are those people that you're going to do life together with? And if you say, I I don't really have any. I I don't really know. I've got some friends from a place I used to live 15 years ago. But uh," I say, I want to help with that. We want to help as a church with that. We want to invite you into something called a life group. And you'll hear us talk a little more about it. We want to invite you into something we call a life group. It's a group of people designed... Around this very idea of sharing life together, of being better together, of figuring out how to love Jesus, love each other, and love the world in this sense of of authentic, Christ-centered relationships. Um, Yes, it requires commitment. You don't just show up when it's convenient. We call that the YMCA. Uh, yes, it requires involvement. You're actually expected to give of yourself and not just take. Yes, it will change you and probably be uncomfortable at times. Yes, you will most likely decide someone in that group is a jerk. And then you're going to find out it was you. All right. But it will also provide you with a group of people who love Jesus and who love you. It'll provide a safe place for you to share honestly about where you are in your journey with Christ. It's going to give you a place where you're Velcro to the Bible and other believers for those need to grow and need to know moments. And it could just potentially be the best thing you've ever done next to the moment that you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we are passionate about figuring out how to help you help me help us connect in these things called life groups. Real quick, four ways you can connect in a life group. We actually have six, and there's probably more that we haven't thunked up yet, but four ways just really quick to help you connect in a life group. Number one, personal invite. At some point, if it hasn't happened already, somebody's going to invite you to their life group, and I say take them up on it. Take them up on it. It doesn't mean that you're committed or you're stuck there forever. matter of fact, the culture we want to create is kind of the same culture you had when you were dating people. You probably didn't marry the first girl that you dated. Somebody here is going, well, wait, I did. That's great. That's wonderful. Praise God for you. But most people probably date a few girls, a few guys, before they find the one that they're going to marry. we got the same concept about life groups here. That you're going to probably go to a couple of those before you land in one. And if you go to one and that's yours forever, praise God, thank God for you. Okay? But you might check out a couple. That's completely fine. If somebody invites you to purchase, check out their life group, like, like, do it. And matter of fact, it's socially acceptable here to invite yourself. Some of my life group leaders are going, wait a minute, what did you just say? Completely acceptable to invite yourself to their group. I know you can't do that anywhere else. You know, you hear your friends are having a dinner party. You're like, can I come? And they look at you weird. Here it's completely acceptable, all right? Feel free. If you've got someone that you've been talking with and they talk about their life group, be like, hey, can I check that out sometime? And they'll be like, yeah, we love that personal invite second way to to jump into a life group is through something we call connecting groups. You hear us talk about these connecting groups. Connecting groups are these short four to eight week experiences designed to, to host through lead through teach a skill or an interest or something like that, but also to give you an irresistible taste of what a life group is. So you've heard us talk about three, like there's three going on right now. Equipping marriage starts in a week or so here. They're actually full. They, they can't don't have any more room in their home. Very cool. Uh, we've got a Believe in God study that's just for women that's starting up. Uh, we've got North Point 101 coming. You heard about uh, prayer mapping a while ago. You're always going to hear about these connecting groups. These are great ways, great things for you to jump into if you're like, yeah, I want to kind of try this out, but I'm not so sure I'm ready. i Jump in on those great ways to date some potential life groups. We kind of hope that some of those connecting groups spin into life groups and some won't. And that's okay. We want to provide some opportunities, ways for you to get in personal invite, connecting groups. Third thing is something we're calling life group connect. That's actually happening in just a few weeks here. September 27th. It's going to happen right out in the hallway out here. You'll see tables. There'll be some papers on them. Some people will be standing out there. And basically all we're saying is if you want to jump into a life group, you're not plugged into a life group. We want to make that happen. You just grab some info flyers, put your name on the sheets on those tables. If you want to, put your name on every sheet on those tables. If you're just lonely and you want people to call you all week long, that's great. And, and life group leaders will call you, tell you about themselves, invite you. You'll, you'll pick based on geography, what, however God's going to put that together. I have no problem trusting that God's got a plan for your life to plug you into a group. And so we can create some opportunities, but at the end of the day, God's got a plan. It's so cool. Life Group Connect might be a way for you to do that. (laughs) Put your name down. Check out some groups, see where it goes from there. Fourth way we'll just mention quickly this morning is, I wrote it down, I was kind of laughing, but I said start your own group. Here's the point. If none of these three ways work for you, we will figure out a way for you. Come and talk to me and we'll figure out how to plug you into a group or maybe if you want to start a group, we'll walk you through our training, have you start your own life group. If you're already meeting with people and you're like, oh, hey, that might be, I think that's a life group. Come talk to me and we'll figure that out together. If none of that works at all, I am a problem solver. We will figure this out for you. If you want in a group, we will plug you into a group. Because frankly, guys, man, we're convinced that life is better together. That God intended life to be lived in the context of honest, authentic, Christ-centered relationships. And as a church, we're going to say, you're you're not going to get the whole North Point experience if you're not plugged into a group. I know some of us, some of us come a little late on Sunday mornings and come in and sit and and we worship and that's fantastic and then you leave right when the band's going to start playing in a minute and you leave and get out of here and and you won't talk to a lot of people and I hear you, I hear you, I I get that but I'm just going to be honest and say you're not getting the the North Point experience. It's not everything that North Point wants to be and wants you to be and I'd go a step further and I'd say you're not getting God's experience because I think at the end of the day, A hand by itself is going to die. But a hand connected to a body can be a healthy thing. So here's what I do. I just want to pray for us that we're going to sing and that we're going to be done, if that's okay. Jesus, thanks for today. I'm excited about this, God. I know that. I'm excited about groups. God, I'm excited about believers connecting with other believers to change the world. God, I think it's the model you left in terms of the church. And so, God, I don't know. I don't know where anybody is. I don't know where, where anybody else is in here. Some people are passionate and excited like the Nelsons. They're in a group and they're just living it. And, God, there's some people that are going, I don't have time or I don't have interest or I don't know, I've been burned one too many times. I'm not doing this again. And, God, you you got to figure all that out because I'm not smart enough to. And it's not my job to and it would be wrong if I tried. So, Jesus, I just pray that you're speaking to people now in this moment. That they're thinking, okay, maybe this is for me. Maybe, Jesus, you're trying to say something. And over the next days and weeks, you would begin to plug them into some opportunities to meet some people and to do life in the context of relationships. God, that you would put this together, not to build North Point, not to build our thing, but, God, to build your kingdom and to change the world. I love you, Jesus. Amen. If you guys would stand, we're going to sing together.